Hey coaches, I'm happy to bring to you today a conversation with Katherine Morrison. She's a life coach who helps people make the employee to entrepreneur transition. We had our first conversation, an interview about how to stop thinking like an employee and start thinking like a CEO. Maybe about a month ago, I published this episode and it was a super enlightening conversation that every coach needs to listen to. So I encourage you to go back a few episodes and catch that if you haven't already. You know, in that episode, the conversation was about how to think like a CEO when it comes to marketing and sales and making business decisions when you have been used to being an employee all of your life. Today, we went really deep into what it means to be a CEO when it comes to social justice and larger issues in the world, including the systems of privilege and oppression. If you now see for the first time, or maybe it's not the first time, but you're seeing it in a bigger and more urgent way than ever before, how you, as a citizen, as a member of your community, as an entrepreneur, even as a life coach, have been part of a system that has been complicit in the oppression of a group of people. For so many of us, the response has been to either look the other way because you feel uncomfortable or feel defensive or look to other people for cues as to what to do. And this is a prime opportunity for us to engage our inner CEOs and ask ourselves, where am I willing to use my voice? How am I willing to use my resources when I am my own HR department, I have, I am my own executive board. How do I take leadership in my own company as a coach, as a small business owner, as somebody with a platform that can make a difference? So our body of work, our companies can become a part of the solution. Catherine and I talk about this and so much more. She is a colleague that I admire so much for her depth of thinking and We have some big ideas, big questions in here. I think you're going to love the conversation you're about to hear as much as I loved recording it. Take a listen. Okay, Catherine, you and I have had some catching up to do since our last conversation on this podcast about CEO mindset versus employee mindset. And I feel like there's been, there's now such a need to have that conversation, but on a totally, at a totally different level because the conversation around around change around coaching around you know what the social needs are that we are addressing has changed so drastically in the past few weeks one of the things since all of this has happened since the murder of george floyd was on the podcast that we had recorded i guess a couple months ago or something now was i had said during that time like we all get to choose how complicit we are in the systems that we're in And that was before all of this happened. Almost prescient. And it just kept coming up in my brain like that, because for me, I I look so often with people in the nine to five and the things that they believe that they have to tolerate because they're there. And that's why I'm so passionate about helping people make money. And I feel like you are too, because it's sort of like the last frontier, right? Of like when you can choose yourself and you can create money for yourself, you're able to stand on your own. But seeing all of this stuff come out and the issues that entrepreneurs have had around like, what do I do? What's the right thing to say? What's the perfect thing to say? It is just kind of another flavor of like looking for who you can be obedient to. Yeah. Like who's the boss? Like who's the manager? Who's going to like either give me a gold star or like a little, you know. Yeah. And I, and it's interesting because I feel like I think of the brain, there's like, think of the brain in two ways. One, there's like just our cave person brain, which is like, we don't want to be rejected from the tribe. Right. And so we get very nervous if there's something that we might do that might allow us to be rejected. That's very primal. But then there is this additional layer that has been so conditioned into us from the school system of like, raise your hand and wait to be called on. Like, don't say anything unless you're asked to speak. Before you hit record, we were talking about the Me Too movement, but there's been so many different flavors of this that are opportunities for us to stand up, I think as revolutionaries, really. And it does require, like, there's so much talk about anti-racism, and of course that's important. And the awareness of it is so important, but foundationally underneath of that, it's like, you have to be willing to speak up. Let's talk about our own complicitness. What's the word? Yeah. Right. Let's talk about how I want to hear about your 
journey. And I'll be really honest too. I'm not black. I'm Asian and you're white. Let's talk about how we came to think differently about our own blind spots and shortcomings. I, I my, my first reaction was there's another one just because there's just been so many murders like that. And I honestly, like being super honest was kind of desensitized, which now I see as not white privilege because I'm not white, but like not black privilege. I wish that was a thing because I really think it exists. Like I don't care what color you are. If you're not black, you have a certain kind of privilege of not being black. So I felt kind of desensitized to it. I said, I, I thought to myself, well, that's terrible. It's going to blow over in the news cycle in a few days because that's what always seems to happen. I, I, I was kind of digging in my heels. Like I, I don't talk about political stuff in my business. I don't, I don't do that. That's not my thing. I'm a life coach. I'm a marketing coach. I don't do that. And I was doing what I now see as just like having my privilege and not wanting to ruffle any feathers. Like I, I the, the thought that I kept having is like, I don't want to cause drama. I don't want to cause drama. And then somebody confronted me, not really confronted, but a friend of mine gently suggested, you're a leader. A lot of people follow you. Maybe you should say something like what even, what even is your stance? In that moment, I had a moment of soul searching and then I realized that what I called my quote unquote stance was just, it was like 50% inertia and like 40% defensiveness and 1% like 10% laziness. One of the largest things for me is, and I, I think a lot of white people can uh, relate is like the amount of shame because it wasn't even in our awareness. And I, I, for, I uh, don't even know who to attribute the tweet to, <laughs> but someone said something about like white supremacy, like we'll never break it until white people realize it's a white problem that they need to become responsible for, not a black problem that they need to empathize with. And the moment I read that, it was like a punch in the gut, like rightly, right? And I'm like, oh yes, because it totally was. Like when I think about the way that I had like existed. I've like done a lot of volunteer work. I've done things over the years and I'm just like, no, no, no. Like I, I have to like, I'm going to like jump in and help where I can and not looking at like, where are we, all of us collectively upholding the system, right? Cause it's sort of like the way that we all show up is either going to uphold the systems that are currently in place or it's going to dismantle them. One of the things that I've thought about is like as an entrepreneur beyond just like sharing on my Instagram stories of like, okay, these are people I follow and I support who are like black entrepreneurs. It is also just going on there super vulnerably and just admitting like these are all the ways that I'm realizing I didn't think it was a problem in my brain, but I'm like noticing now and I'm self-coaching myself all the time of just like bringing it into my awareness of like, where did I think that I was totally like, you know, this wasn't a thing for me to jump in and think that I needed to like get out of my head. Right? Do you find like, yourself coaching yourself often on feeling defensive? At first I definitely did. I think well, so we should, we'll just let the people know in our mastermind call this week, I broke down in like total tears. She did. And I realized that for me, there was so much shame that I had not been fully allowing, I wasn't forgiving myself. So I was feeling defensive, but of course like defensiveness is just like you have shame. You're getting triggered because you, you recognize that there's something there for you to explore. Right? What was the thought creating the shame for you? Oh, the thought creating the shame. Um, I should have known better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same. I think for me, it was like, I was a sociology minor in school. I like minored and like, it was like race and gender studies. Like I should have known better, you know? And I, I was still showing up in my business, but like telling myself all the time, helping other people process through their shame, but it wasn't even in my awareness how deeply rooted that was for me until Stacy pointed it out that like, she could tell from the way I was crying that I hadn't fully allowed myself to process through it. Mm. And it's sort of just like, well, the moment that you know better, do better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then that was the thing that got me thinking about 
how I really believe the intersection of like the employee mindset that we get going through the system, like it intersects very deeply with this work because I think about the, the closest thing I can relate it to is how many women understand exactly what's going on in the workplace. Like for me as a woman, I remembered like being discriminated against and I remembered like there not being a place for women to like pump when they had a kid or whatever. Right. And I never spoke up. I was completely complicit as an employee. And so it's like, it's not enough to just have it in our awareness. And there's got to be a shift where we recognize that like our silence is a decision and our silence is part of what allows the system to be upheld. Okay. Two things. One is that I want to like rewind like two seconds back and ask you about the shame and how, because I would be curious if I were a listener experiencing something similar, I'd be curious how you processed shame in such a clean way. Cause that's sort of what I saw you do. You had this like giant, like mountain of shame and you, I saw you like process it in real time in a way where it was so you really let yourself feel it and you, you let it like pass through you. You felt every, every bit of it. And then you kind of like came out the other side, like with a different, um, with a renewed mindset. And what I think a lot of people try to do is they try to like think their way out of shame, right? Cause shame feels terrible for anybody. So, um, they try to keep like resisting the emotion and they keep like, you know, if, if you're a coach, you like coach yourself on it, you do models on it. And then about like what you should do with the shame. And it never, I think it actually makes it so much stickier. Right. Yes. As opposed because to just, you don't let it work through you. So tell us a little bit about that. Cause I think it's so important. It's so important for allies to know how to let, how to process shame. Cause if you don't know how to process shame, good luck doing this work. Right. right. It's going to come up over and over and over. Tell us about that. Yeah. You're an expert. She broke down in front of like 30 people on zoom, <laughs> like a long time. And she was like, I, I know. I mean, I'm, I'm sound like I sound like I'm making fun of her, but it was a beautiful and, and inspiring to watch because she wasn't afraid to just process it. Right. So tell us about that. It's funny because now my brain is like, well, how do I logically explain like this <laughs> very emotional process I went through? I, I guess it really is sort of allowing it to just fully be in my body because when we're, when we are aware of our shame, but we're sort of like, I'm going to motion here, but it's like, nah, 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 don't look at me. Mm-hmm. It's always running in the background as this low level thing that like I would describe it as almost like a ball in the pit of your stomach, but you're just not willing to look at it. And I think that I had allowed myself to look at it like a little bit, but it was, it was not the full amount of like owning that I had been complicit because for me, it like, it was something that hadn't fully been in my awareness but it doesn't matter, right? Like it doesn't matter that it wasn't in my awareness, right? Like I was still part of it. And so I think the moment that I allowed myself to basically to just forgive myself and to just demand better of myself moving forward, right? Because I think that that is like what the shame was, was like, you should have known better. Mm-hmm. And that would have just kept me in hiding. Shame wants us to be hidden. And so I think that day allowing it to fully exist in my body which felt terrible and to ugly cry and to really sit in it, to sit in it for as long as it needed to be there. Mm. And oftentimes it like feels very like heavy and like full at first. And then as you allow it to sort of pass through, it becomes a little bit lighter and it feels awful. But then once you come out the other side of it, there's, access to your brain, to your emotions, to your way of being that weren't available to you when you were trying to hide from it. Yeah. I think sometimes we, I mean, shame has a bad reputation, especially amongst life coaches, but I think shame has such an important role sometimes, right? Like I think I felt so much shame too. And I honestly don't think I have processed it fully right now. I'm not sure I have either. I mean, right, right. Probably. Yeah. I think shame when it, I think the proper role, if we can say that about shame, is to sort of alert us to where we are like holding ourselves back from like really like engaging ethically in the world and like being the kind of person we want to be. And when there is a discordance between that and how we are actually being, I think shame shows up so so that we can course correct. 
this is not the kind of person you want to be. So let's course correct. And so that's the role of shame. But when we don't listen, when we don't fully like engage with shame, we don't fully allow it to be there. We don't fully get the lesson and we don't fully become the person we want to be. What are your thoughts? I just made Yeah. It's, inter- it's interesting because, and I haven't fully worked through this either, but like one of the things I talk to my clients about is like ego triggers versus soul triggers. Mm-hmm. And I actually do think there's a difference. And I think it's very much tied. You could talk about like ego shame versus soul shame. I think shame can be if you allow it to be like, okay, I'm like feeling this in my body. And to be honest, I don't think maybe there's a subtle difference in the way that people carry it. And it's like a semantic thing where we just don't have the words to describe the difference. I think there's a thing that comes up a lot of times for people where, yes, it could totally be an alert, like, like, look at this. You're acting out of alignment with your integrity. You're acting out of alignment with like who you want to be in the world. But I do also think that like shame is a tool of oppression that is used to be like women, like we come out right as children. And then we learn from the systems, like how we're supposed to be in the world. And so I can only speak as like a a woman, but like, there's definitely things that have come up in my brain where I'm just like, wait, I'm not supposed to talk right now. I'm not supposed to like say these things right now. Like my six-year-old just last, last week was like playing with her brother and she was like, oh, well, girls are supposed to be quiet. And I was like, what the <gasps> fuck? Yeah. But it's like you watch enough Disney movies. That is right. Like if you're not training your brain on purpose, we just become programmed. I know Brooke Castillo talks about like coaching, like you get your brain and it just comes out. It's like the iPhone you haven't even taken out of the box. But I'm like, guess what? The iPhone came out of the box when you were born. And then it just got like a bunch of apps put on it by like all the things that surrounded us as we're growing up. Right. And so I think like there's another kind of shame, which is also just like we're taught as people, like what we're supposed to do and be in the world. And that that is like the more superficial shame mm. that sometimes you just need to recognize is like a bunch of bullshit that was put in your head. So that's ego shame. And what's, what do you call it? Soul shame? Yeah. I mean, and I, I think it really is sort of like, is this someone else's or is this mine? Mm. Right. It's like just a question to sort of check in and be like, where is this coming from? And like, why am I feeling this way? Oh, so good. Yeah. So it's kind of like if, let's say you got called out for being silent about Black Lives Matter and the part that may be like, oh no, somebody else thinks I did this wrong. Somebody's mad at me. Somebody is attacking me. Oh no, I feel like a bad person. Like that might be more like sort of societally based, like approval seeking ego shame. Yeah. Whereas, oh, I have been complicit about an evil and that's not who I am. And I effed up like that's more like soul shame. Has any, I've never heard anybody articulate it like that. Have you? No, I mean, it's, it's just me, Simone. Yeah, I trademarked, think trademarked in this conversation. <laughs> but I think it's so useful to delineate between the two. And I think soul shame is really useful to feel. I think it's always like such a signal from the soul. Like, hey, let's course correct. Right. And I think when you let yourself experience, I think that's what I saw you experience when uh, process and it's so powerful to get to the other side of it. Yeah. And I, I mean, honestly, I think that if we're going to make powerful, meaningful, systemic change in society, it requires going beyond whatever like has been programmed into our ego. So I feel yeah. like there's, there's plenty of examples of people who like what is happening right now is just like, posting a picture online, like holding a book to like show, like, look at me, I'm part of the tribe. Yeah. Yeah. But in order for us to actually like get in touch with like, this is actually like, let's all be humans. Yes. And experience this together. And you have to get down to the soul level or get up to the soul level, whatever, and really ask your soul, like, what are we going to do now? And that your soul's never going to be like, well, definitely post on Instagram, right? <laughs> your soul's never going to be like, this is the correct hashtag, right? Your soul is going to tell you the real work, which is probably going to be a lot more longer term. It's going to be a lot more subtle, nuanced, it's going to take a different level of courage than like keeping up with the anti-racist Joneses, so to speak, right? It does just like, as I was thinking about it and I posted this, this actually wasn't on my business page. This was just on my personal Facebook the other day. Like I just got to thinking and in the murder of George Floyd, like there were people that stood by and watched oh, yeah. it. Oh yeah. And if you like actually watch the video, they actually say like a couple, they're like a few of them speak up and they're like, maybe you shouldn't be doing this. Like maybe you should wrote, like maybe you should do this other thing. They say something like once and then that's it. And then 
like they just decide because they're not the like highest ranking officer that they're like, that's it. Like that's as much social capital as I'm going to use. And you have to think about from that perspective, it's like in that moment, it was like, okay, either I might lose my job if I stand up to this guy or Or get arrested by like attacking an officer. That's, if I were a bystander, I'd be like, oh, if I do something about that, am I going to be in trouble? Like, I don't want to get in trouble, right? Yeah. Or they probably so know what they're doing. Sure. And it's it's interesting, though, because I feel like where the news cycle took it was like, let's talk about police culture and what's going on in police culture. But I'm like, let's broaden it and talk about all humans and how, like, we are just trained, all of us, to be quiet in society and to not ruffle feathers and to not make a scene especially when we believe that there's a, an, like authority or a power above us. Yeah. And so I think this is where like that employee versus entrepreneur mindset comes in because it does really seem like one of the things that I was thinking about was like white collar workers might like, it's might be easy to like judge like, Oh, well, I would never like let that happen. But it's like, how many people have gone to their HR departments and been like, Hey, like what's going on in this executive leadership team? <sighs> Right, it's more like oh, our like our our gender ratio, our race ratio is like. Can we do that? Can we do better? Right, like how many of us has got have gone to HR and and said that? Probably like so so few. Yeah, and so then taking that into when we are starting our businesses, it sort of becomes a if you don't rewire your brain to just be like I'm going to stand for me and I'm going to stand for myself and I'm going to stand in integrity then you want to sort of waffle and waver and people please and be like, well, what do my people want to hear? And I should just say that because I'm sort of at their behest. I'm getting, I'm getting chills because this is so important. In our last episode, uh, last conversation Catherine and I had about um, like really taking CEO level responsibility for your business, meaning like what it, when it comes to marketing, when it comes to sales, when it comes to crafting your message, you don't wait for someone, somebody else to give you a blueprint. You don't wait for somebody else to sign off what you think is a good idea. You don't wait around for instructions and you don't wait for someone to give you an a, a gold star. You give it to yourself. And that's, that's so much of that resourcefulness and decisiveness is what's required to make a business work. And now there's this whole other dimension of like radical, like, CEO level responsibility that is now the moral responsi- responsibility of an entrepreneur where you don't you don't get to go to an HR department and complain because you are the freaking HR department like you get to decide like who gets to be on the board you get to decide whom you hire and I think that when you said that I was like <laughs> honestly my visceral reaction was like oh my goodness that's a lot of responsibility I don't know if I'm ready for it <laughs> Right? Like, is my business contributing to, like, the way you would write to the the president of a company to say, your business should do better? Like, you write that letter to yourself because you're the the CEO, you're the president. And I think it is interesting because we're at this point where people have to decide. And it's in the same way. It's like, yes, we are our own business, but a lot of us are solopreneurs, right? And so it's deciding, like, what what stands in the business, what stands in the fabric of your being. And if you're going to decide that anti-racism is coming with you in the fabric of your being, what does that look like as it manifests in your business? I was thinking about like the things that I would want to talk about today because I feel like the last time it was very much like, and I don't want to say la-di-da, like it doesn't matter. Like I think it's super fun to like teach people how to create money on their own. But I feel like the layer that gets put on top of here is like there's a social justice piece that comes along with when you decide to choose yourself and you decide to like become a person that just like stands in the world in your integrity and says things that might make people uncomfortable. And it just got me thinking so much about obedience and the role of obedience. Did you ever um, – hear about that experiment of the people that ended up, they were like willing to shock other people. Oh yeah. 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 Just because like someone told them to. Yeah. So I was like thinking about, and I guess like for people who haven't heard, it was like an uh, experiment that came out of Yale and it was like people went in and they basically pretended like it was a hospital scenario. And then you were able to um, just because the researcher was telling you to like press this button, people were pressing the button and it was very clear. Like you would hear people like yell, like you were harming them when you pressed the button, but just because someone was telling them to do it, they were doing it. And so I was thinking about that. And then this guy, he had a quote that I thought was like, I don't know, sort of 
I've been thinking about a lot, but one of the things that he said in one of his papers, like the essence of obedience consists in the fact that a person comes to view themselves as the instrument for carrying out another person's wishes. Once this critical shift of viewpoint has occurred in the person, all of the essential features of obedience follow. And I think that this is, I know we were sort of going back and forth over Facebook the other day and Messenger, just like the intersection of so many things, right? Like if you decide to look to someone else, right? Like to, like, this is the way I make money, like to do this program, to do whatever. Um, for women, like I think about our colleague Danielle that teaches women how to have sex and actually enjoy pleasure in their bodies and the intersection with pleasure and how women have like decided that they're just at the like o- obedience to their husband, Right like the racial dynamic of what comes up around obedience. I don't have the answers, but it is just the more that I think about it, I've just looked at my work as this one frame of how do I help retrain people from being obedient to a manager, to obedient to themselves and creating money in their business. But this seems like such a critical shift in mindset along with like we can't just be aware that this is a problem and not have the courage to speak out against it. I think the willingness to kind of see the system to which I have been obedient and to start disobeying and to start, you know, making my own scene and saying my own truth. I think it comes with so much, such a threshold, high threshold of like failure tolerance and shame tolerance and pain tolerance which I think is the real work of entrepreneurship. I mean, and I think we talked about it last time, just like resilience to failure. And it is like, in some ways, I feel like a lot of the people I'm coaching and I have definitely felt this way as well as like the stakes. Funny because the stakes felt high when it was your business, but then you realize, right? Like this comes and it's like, oh no, no, the stakes are actually. (laughs) Stakes are real, yeah. Because of course, like all of us want to, and we're coaches, right? Like we want to help the world. We want to be good people. And it is that willingness to get it wrong, have awkward conversations, be willing to admit that you were wrong. And I have so much to learn here as well, but it is just, I am recognizing like as I, as I sat and processed my shame, it's sort of like the awareness that I have now that can't go away that is, I think, in so many spheres, it's not that you're watching someone murdered in front of you. It's that you're not even seeing, right? Like I think about my workplace and it was like, I didn't even see like black people and it didn't ever, it wasn't in my conscious awareness. This is the thing I need to talk to someone about. And to have like the ability to now see that in the places that I, I exist in, in the spheres that I'm in. And I'm like, okay, like what conversations do I need to have? Because this isn't like silence. I think back then what, what, what you were implicitly thinking probably is like, I don't have, like, even if you did register the problem, like I'm not in a position to do something about it. Right. Yeah. Someone else is right. Like I can't, I've been thinking about what keeps people, my, by people, I mean me, what keeps me obedient to a system that I never like learned how to question. And I think it's like, once again, it's thoughts. It's thoughts like, I'm not in a position to do something about it. Like, it's not my issue. It's not my conversation. Like, I think, I mean, I don't want to make this to be, make this be about like all of the causes, but it actually is about kind of all of the causes because we are all part of the human tribe, we are all like in relationships with the earth and with each other. And when I think about like environmentalism, I just think about like, well, that's not my fight to fight. Like there's just like too much, whatever. It's like, it's too complicated. I'm just going to block it out. And I think about all these other things where the thoughts are, um, it's not my fight. It's not my struggle. It's not my whatever it's a conversation. It's somebody else's. And two, I don't know where to start. And three, I probably won't be able to make any kind of difference. Four, I'll probably get it wrong. Five, I'll get it wrong and then somebody's going to be mad at me about it. Right? So to me, when I think about every time I've turned a blind eye to oppression, injustice, something effed up happening, it's been these like five thoughts. Like, it's not my thing. I don't know what to say. If I do, I'll probably get it wrong. It won't make a difference. There's no point. And you just have to... Like now I'm beginning to see like much too late that every one of these thoughts I have to redirect in my own brain, right? And, And coaching can seem so like, 
you know, through through in, in these in these times where such that like morally urgent conversations are happening, but but really like because you have to all of this will begin with every one of us redirecting conversations in our own brains. When your brains, when our brain says it's not my conversation, I have to teach it to say actually it is. When my brain says there's no point, my, I have to teach my brain to say something else, right? And while I'm redirecting the conversation in my brain, I have to allow myself to fully experience the emotions that are going to come with it. And this is what we do in coaching. And that's why I think your role, Catherine, my role as, yes, we're both um, uh, coaches who work with entrepreneurs, but these are, I think these are such critical skills. I don't think that change can happen without like us bringing so much awareness to the importance of these skills and how to do them. Right. Yeah. Well, and I don't think it's proof for it all. I think it is like literally the solution when I think about like a person who doesn't have coaching tools, they stop at defensiveness. Totally. Totally. Right. And then they're just like, they're just like, F this, like, you know, screw like everybody's giving like, and there's just anger. Right. Yeah. Well, I have and a so I, friend and I, I donate to that and they just shut down. Whereas like with the work that we're doing, right? Like your audience, we're all coaches. So we see defensiveness and we're like, wait a second, that is actually a clue that there's something else here and there's a chain that we need to follow. Totally. And I think about if the gen if every person in the population had a coach right now to like show them their mind, like right, all the ways that people are getting triggered and defensive. It is just stunning to me the difference that it would make and show them the difference between ego shame and soul shame. And I think the whole world would change if all of us had tools to do that. And I think the the burden of the work falls so much more heavily on allies. Right. And cause I think black people are just honestly, they've just been like busy, like trying not to get murdered, you know? And I think it, it falls on us. I mean, not that black people don't need these brain tools, they obviously do, but it falls on the rest of us, whatever it is. Maybe you're advocating not only for anti-racism, but for the environment or for, for ableism or for sexism. It's, you, 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 you take that burden on you to be like, I'm going to be the locus of change. I'm going to be, I'm going to start with rewiring my own brain. I'm going to start with strengthening my own emotional capacity and my own um, resilience so that I, I choose to be the one who makes a scene. I choose to be the one who speaks out. And I choose to be the one who is willing to fail over and over and over. And like, without, without letting that slow me down, without let, you know, making that mean that, oh, see, I should never attempted in the first place. Oh, see, it's not, it wasn't my conversation to begin with, right? And, and to keep going. And it's so funny because obviously success in this arena, in the justice arena is the same as success in anywhere else, which is that, you just keep failing forward until you get it right, right? Until you make a difference and you like learn, you try 10 things and you, you find one thing that works and you just, it's just process of iteration. And this is not a place where perfectionism can like creep in because that'll just slow us down, right? And we just have to, have to be wary of people pleasing. It's all the same stuff. Yeah. And, well, and I think it is also, I don't even remember what you just said a moment ago that this, like I had the thought in my brain that, one of the interesting things too is like, yes, the willingness to fail forward, but then to always just understand like, why are you making the decision you're making? Why are you choosing to speak or why are you choosing not to speak? Mm. And I think one of the things I was having an interesting conversation the other day about like the, the damage that silence does and how it is just you being complicit. And it was actually with a guy who is, he's a professor. And what was really interesting for him is he has made the decision to be very silent publicly about what he believes about these things because he is someone who's called to be a witness in cases, in like court cases. Mm. And so for him, it was like his soul, like his being has made the choice. Like I am going to, like, I don't need to like put my shingle out on social media to like, to virtue signal to the world that I am this way. I'm like making the choice that because I guess the system of the courts right now is basically like, if you're super loud, you don't get called to be a witness in court cases. And so it was like, if you're going like, his decision to be silent is strategic. 
it's not like a decision to be complicit. It's like, I've decided that my, like the way that I can show up and help to dismantle the system to help make an impact in the system is this way. And it actually made me think about like Ruth Bader Ginsburg too. I remember like when Trump got elected, she wrote a letter and then retracted it and was like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said anything. But I think about someone like her who's just like, she's just decided, like she's obviously got very strong like opinions, but she's willing to like, I'm going to exist in the system of the Supreme Court and you better fucking believe I'm going to do the best I can in the system I've decided to be within. I think that's such an important nuance. And I've been talking a lot about the, you know, Catherine and I, we're both spiritual. We talk about the soul a lot. We think about the soul a lot. And I've been, I've been talking so much about how important it is to go inward and to discern what your love, what your path of integrity is, right? Like what, what your soul is calling on you to do, because you can't, again, you can't take directions from other people. Like sometimes silence is the path of courage and speaking out loudly and splashing all over the place is the path of cowardice. Just the same way, being silent could be the path of cowardice and being speaking out could be the path of courage. I think it just, it just really depends. There are so many roles. And I keep saying over and over again, as a social media marketing coach, that people, oftentimes people who are the loudest on social media are not who are the most effective, you know, um, influential change workers in the world. So you really have to decide what that looks like for you and to, you know, not let other people's, you know, judgments um, cloud your own relationship to your soul and, and how you are doing right by it. And obviously also not judge other people for do it, do, doing it wrong because it looks wrong to you. You don't know what their path of integrity is, right? I mean, obviously I think I, if it hadn't been for people who are willing to call other people out on their complicity that just comes from moral laziness, like I wouldn't be thinking at the level that I am. So I def definitely believe in calling people out. And now, now we say calling people in, like I do believe that. But at the same time, yeah, sometimes it, the, the choice, the, the braver choice is to be strategically silent, right? I think that's a really important nuance. I think it's not so cut and dry. So I think a lot of people get like choose to get confused about it, right? Like, but I actually don't think it's confusing if you think about it. And it just, it just takes you to be like aware and sensitive at a, at a, and, and to think at a level that is like a little bit deeper. For sure. And I think it's a level that a lot of us don't often challenge ourselves to. And if, like, yes, this, yeah. is, this is a whole thing that we're collectively going through. But every person has a role that they can play in it if they challenge themselves to think like what is their greatest path of integrity and what is the impact that they want to have in the new world that we're birthing right now. Let's switch gears a little bit. As we close out the conversation, I want to ask you, okay, so we, Catherine and I both believe that in like spiritual cataclysms, <laughs> before we started recording, we were talking about you know, these like pivotal moments in history where a lot of change happens. And I know that we both have the vision to be able to fast forward. And so I want to ask you, just because I'm interested, just as a fan of your work and as a friend, like what, have you had like thoughts, have you had visions about what you want the contribution of your business to be in the long term, even your platform to be in the long term and what kind of difference you want to make in the world. And as I ask Catherine this, I want all of my listeners, like whoever's listening to consider, okay, so right now we're very like zoomed in, focused in this moment in history. But if you were to zoom out and, and think about your work, the impact of your anti-racism work, pro-justice work in the next five years, 10 years, 30 years, right? What kind of world do you want to help to create? And what is, your, what is going to be your role in it? That's a, that's a realm where, where we can really let ourselves fantasize. And that's where we can let ourselves dream big and, and have an anti-racist Pinterest board. I don't know. <laughs> right? Like this long, because we need that. You know, in, my, in the last um, episode that I published with, you know, four Black Life Coaches, um, April Baskin spoke so beautifully about how, you know, it's, it's easy to just get bummed out if you're doing this work all day long, but she fixes her vision to what she wants to create in the long run, the community center she wants to create, the beautiful family she wants to have, you know, all these big long-term dreams 
that also plug her into her joy and her hope. But I think that's really important. So I want to ask about yours, Catherine. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think that you, when you like ask about where I see the vision of what I want to create long-term, you might need to edit this out. But like, I was just talking to my husband, like, I feel like things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. I agree. And this is not the end. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I had an inner voice session with one of the coaches from the Black uh, Life Coaches directory that you put out. And that was one of the things that came through. It was like, this is just the appetizer. Like, get ready. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it is interesting because I think that the coaching tools that we have are the thing that is like, we're collectively being called to work through our shadow, right? It's like shadow work, but it's on a collective level right now. Yeah. Once we're through that, all I see is like a vision of like living on land like in nature so I was talking to my husband last night I'm like I don't know if that means that like all the cities like implode like what's gonna happen and like I don't know if that's just like something that my soul is personally called to is like I mean you know like I've talked about the commune I for sure want to start like if that is is that where it's gonna go but it is almost I think one of the blessings from this pandemic if there's any, is that like, we have all had to go inward. Mm -hmm. And then we have had this tremendous injustice happened when everyone is sitting at home. And like, I think if it were a lot of other times, people would have just been like, la la, like, you know, can I avoid it or buffer through it or whatever? And we're all at home right now. It is interesting because I feel like life can be a lot simpler than like the go, go, go culture that, I mean, I think is very, I don't know what it's like in Korea. It's totally like that in Korea, right? Like, (laughs) Oh yeah. And so if we are able to slow things down and just focus on, I mean, it's everything that you talk about, right? Truth and love. Mm -hmm. What could the world look like? Yeah. It doesn't need to be that complicated. And it also doesn't need to be all the defensiveness and the rage. Yeah. But I mean, the rage is, I don't know. I think like rage is a signal a lot of times. And I think there's probably, there's actually probably something to be said for like an ego rage versus a soul rage. Mm, so good. Love it. Right. And I think a lot of what's coming out right now is like deep soul rage. And soul sorrow. Yes. Yeah. I, I just been noticing how much of that I was just buffering from my from my own self. It's like, oh, soul rage? Not going to do that today. Netflix yeah. sounds like a better use of my time. <laughs> yeah. You know, here's some piece that really came to me is that I am passionate about life coaching as we both are. And I'm passionate about helping coaches be successful. And then I realized that what I'm really passionate about is that I believe that every single life coach that I, that I serve, I, I see them as community leaders, right? In their, whatever community they come from. Like if you could be like, you could be a Korean woman living in Seoul, like me, you could be a conservative religious Jewish woman, could be black. You could be a very wealthy waspy white person, wherever you are. I think, I think about this all over the world because I, I, I live, you know, in Asia and about how, wherever there's a life coach who is successful at being a life coach, there is a leader who is ready to lead the people around her, not just in terms of living their better lives, but in, in terms of like moral leadership, right? We are the ones who get to model how we want to be in the world. We are the ones who get to model not only how to thrive on earth, but how to live in integrity with what our soul wants, right? And I think when we like, it's so, which is so apt that I'm talking to you today, because I think life, coach, life coaching is ultimately about leadership. It's not about holding somebody's hand and like reassuring them. It's not even about like helping people succeed in by some external definition. It's how do you, how does your soul want to lead in the world? And I think it's every life coach's mission to connect, connect to that, to that and to model that for people around them. So I just had this beautiful vision of like, my dream is to cultivate coaches all over the world and help them be successful in in, in life coaching, in the business and the vocation of life coaching everywhere in the world. And I just have visions of like 
this oh these women was muslim women in malaysia right this christian woman in ethiopia this whatever women and wherever they're all women i don't know why men can be included too i just always think of women first because they're women and just all these life coaches who are leaders in their community because i think any community that has a life coach is so lucky and it's my role to like help them to thrive in in their business not just financially but morally right and as i just said that i just got chills in my body and also my brain was like that's really cute who do you think you are right and so it's like that's something that i'm gonna have to contend with it's a really it's a really beautiful vision um once i let myself hold it that's sort of like that's sort of what i'm thinking yeah well i think um you mentioning the who do you think you are one of the things i was thinking about today is just like what did that voice come from from our system right It's like a system that told you that you're not supposed to be bigger, right? Like you're supposed to be smaller in some way. And so it is just interesting. Like I I think about for us as coaches, I don't know if you like have a lot of clients that say this, but like whenever someone says what it is that they feel that they're called to, it's always the voice in their head that says, who do you think you are? Yeah. It's so, it's so consistent. I think it's so funny how consistent it is. It's always those words. Who do you think you are? (laughs) Yeah. But it is just like that voice is not your voice, right? Like that voice came from somewhere else along the way. And I think of it as like the job of every single coach to like, I know I'm talking about systems and like get the systems out, but I feel like every other coach is like, you're dismantling some system from someone's head totally for them to like get some result in their life that they feel like deeply called to. Right. I know you wrote something the other day about like how this isn't like coaching isn't just to get make people like rich, skinny, and I forget, right? But yeah, I'm rich, like, skinny and happy because that's what people think it is. Yeah. And it can seem like that a lot. And I, I actually agree that a lot of our default language really has been focused on that. Like it's not, it's not like a, like a strange accident that people think that's what life coaching is about. Like we have to take responsibility for the fact that a lot of people think that's what our industry is about. Yeah. Right. But but I think that's like our sneaky way to sell people self-love, right? No, I know it is. It is a (laughs) sneaky way to sell sell self-love. But I think now we're being invited to be even more conscious of like awakening to people like, and it might not be in the literal marketing copy that we write, but really in the way that we live, I think it's all about modeling. You have to just be in the congruence of your message first about, okay, so if it's not about being rich and thin and happy, then what is it about? If it's, if it's not about being happy, what does it mean to really inhabit the full range of emotions? If it's not about being thin, what does it mean to be in, in, in a loving relationship with your body? Like, what does it mean to be a, not only a leader of your own life, but a leader of the communities around you to, to drive the kind of change you want to see? Like, these are all, I think, okay, here's what I've been thinking about. Okay, you're going to geek out over, over this. I've been thinking about how the Catholic Church, um, Catherine is, as we both have Catholic, Catholic origin. So we were talking about Catholic Church, how the Catholic Church has, in so many ways, lost moral leadership over the past couple of centuries because in so many important moral issues of history that took place, the Catholic Church was like, la, 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 right? And with the, like, the sex abuse scandals within their church in the past couple of decades, it was also like, la, 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 la. And I think, oh, that's why nobody looks to the Pope as like the, as the moral guide of our times, right? Like there used to be a time when people might've been like hundreds of years ago when people actually might have been never, actually, I don't know. <laughs> Where at least like theoretically you looked to the church for moral guidance on everything. And I was thinking about the failure of the church to, to occupy the, the seat of moral leadership because why? Because it hasn't allowed itself to break yet. It's like a cancer of defensiveness. Yeah. That is just eating it up from the inside. Yeah. The church has had to like entirely let itself be like just come apart. Like these are all our internal sins and our complicit complicity. I keep saying that. Is that a word? Complicity? I don't know. It's Whatever. Complicity in <laughs> in all of the injustices of the world and in all of the ways we have failed to sort of like be 
worthy like you know messengers of jesus message of like tending to the weakest and like loving your neighbor and you know just really like, protecting the weakest against the abuses of power and all the ways that the like the church has had had to have like a failure of like like a crisis of conscience and it needed to be public and people needed to suffer consequences right and it needed an internal renewal and it never had one because it was too busy holding on to what it thought was like, like the external structures of power. Yeah. And how the hell did I get on this tangent? I thought it was important at first. Hold on. What were you talking about? I don't know, but it was, I, I like, I'm totally geeking out with you. And I think where I want to go next is just like, yes, like it is sort of just, um, moral leadership. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember now. Here's the loop that I'm closing. Yeah. <laughs> the life, Bring it coaching, home. the life coaching industry for it to claim moral leadership, for it to be the kind of Thing where people think I want to be a better human, I go get a life coach, right? We need to sort of like have a, a crisis of conscience in our own industry to think where have we just been capitalism pushers? Where have we been just like thinness pushers and happiness pushers and just and, and like professional bystanders? Even if that wasn't our intention, it doesn't matter, right? And where like again, we are not anti any of those things, um, but we need a we need to we need to be a, in a little bit of pain about this i think as life coaches right how do we more proactive if we want to become the voice of conscience in the world if you want to be the driver of positive change in the world we have to like really look within and say how have we contributed to the opposite so far and think how what's what is it about messaging our messaging what is it about you know and i think that is a big question that i don't have all the answers for but i think it is totally imperative to for us to engage in our in that conversation amongst ourselves within ourselves in order for the life coaching industry to not end up like the catholic church <laughs> yeah i love it <laughs> i i followed that loop all the way around thank you that's why i love you <laughs> Whew. i don't think there's anything to top that i think that's just it that's the end <laughs> the end okay catherine something else is gonna happen and we're gonna need to do like part three See you on the next, on the next crisis. When, See you at the next crisis. When the, when the cities are burning down. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, actually, yes. Edit it out. Edit yeah, that don't out. don't that. Okay. We'll see you at the next juncture of positive change. That's right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Simone. Hey, if you just listened to this entire conversation, I would like to give you a challenge, should you accept the challenge, to go out and find one resource one educator, one book, one something so that you can go into your own work more deeply on this. I will include some links in the show notes to educational resources right from Black activists, educators, and leaders and teachers that I have gotten from sources that I really trust. So check those out. If you would like to follow Catherine on social media, I will put a link to her Instagram in the show notes. And if you listen to this episode and have thoughts, we would both love to know what your thoughts are, what actions you're going to implement on how you can be the anti-racist, pro-justice, pro-equality CEO that the world needs. Take good care of yourself and I'll talk to you later.